Good day, everyone, and welcome to the ProAssurance Second Quarter 2012 Earnings Call. Today's conference is being recorded. For opening remarks and introductions, I'll now turn the call over to Mr. Frank O'Neill. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being part of our call to discuss our second quarter 2012 results. Please bear with me while I handle some important legal statements. On Monday, August 6, 2012, we issued a news release reporting our results for the quarter ended June 30, 2012. Subsequently, subsequently, we filed an 8K in our second quarter 2012 10Q with the SEC. These documents and our other SEC filings provide important information about our company and our industry as they discuss in detail many important factors that could affect the outcome of future events and thus cause actual results to differ materially from current projections or expectations. Please read and understand these cautions and be aware that statements we make on this call dealing with projections, estimates, and expectations are explicitly identified as forward-looking statements subject to these and other risks. Except as required by law or regulation, we will not undertake and expressly disclaim any obligation to update or alter information disclosed as part of these forward-looking statements. The content of this call is accurate only on Tuesday, August 7, 2012. We do not authorize nor review any transcripts you may obtain, so please know the transcripts may contain factual or transcription errors that could materially alter the intent or meaning of our statements. And the final item, we're going to reference non-GAAP items in our call today. Please refer to our recent filing on Form 10-Q and our recent news release for a reconciliation of these non-GAAP numbers to their GAAP counterparts. Participating in today's call are our Chairman and CEO, Stan Starn, who has joined in remotely, Chief Financial Officer, Ned Rand, Howard Friedman, our Chief Underwriting Officer and Actuary, and Vic Adamo, our Vice Chairman. Stan, your opening thoughts, please. Thanks, Frank. Second quarter results are again solid as we continue to prove the benefits of a disciplined approach to a business that demands both vigilant attention to current operational details and a long-term philosophy that rewards our consistent dedication to profitability and book value growth. That's a proven combination that allows us to reward our shareholders and protect our policyholders. This was also a significant quarter in that we announced two transactions. The first, Medmark, broadens our ability to ensure the wider scope of health care delivery while adding to our growing legal professional liability business. The second, Independent Nevada Physicians Insurance Exchange, or IND, deepens our share in our traditional medical professional liability business. We have much to talk about, so let's get started. Okay, we'll do that. Thanks, Stan. Let's uh, focus first on second quarter results, and then we'll update planned acquisitions. So we'll go first to Ned. Thank you, Frank. Gross, written, gross premiums written were $102 million, a decline of $13 million over last year's second quarter. Approximately $6 million of the decline is due to the effects of our two-year policies written last year and earned pro rata for 24 months. And we continue to see the impact of a competitive market on our retention of business. Howard, will you characterize the state of the market right now? Yes, the market is quite competitive right now. In some areas, a bit more competitive than at the start of the year, but still not at levels we have seen in previous soft markets. In fact, we see some slightly encouraging signs in some states. 
For example, we now know that one of the primary lower-priced competitors in the podiatric market is raising filed rates by 20% in select states. Rates for lawyers' professional liability are increasing across the industry. Taken as a whole, we continue to believe that the core physician and hospital markets will remain competitive given the favorable loss environment. Underwriting and pricing discipline has been a hallmark of pro-assurance in both hard and soft markets. As you can tell from this quarter's top line, we remain committed to writing only the business that supports our profitability targets and to walking away from business that does not meet our targets. I'll also touch on reserve development. Net favorable loss reserve development was $60 million in the quarter, $10 million higher than last year's second quarter, and primarily from accident years 2004 through 2009. In the current loss environment, our favorable development is being driven by the continuation of loss severity levels that have proved to be different from our expectations. In this case, the development is favorable because losses were lower than expected. While we are pleased with the current outcome, the statistics from the early 2000s remind us that loss costs can change rapidly and can result in industry-wide loss ratios well above 100%. We continue to exercise caution when considering today's evolving loss environment as we set 2012 accident year loss sticks. Thanks, Howard. I want to mention a couple of other items. Net investment income is the primary component of our net investment results and both are down approximately 5% quarter over quarter. This is primarily reflective of the low interest rate environment that all insurance companies are dealing with right now. Also involved is the effect of the earnings or losses from unconsolidated subsidiaries, primarily the result of the amortization of tax credit limited partnerships, which are an important part of our investment strategy. The comparative effect of those tax credits is now becoming less noticeable because the credits were in place by second quarter 2011. And for those of you for whom this may be a new concept, these losses are expected and are more than offset by a reduction in our federal tax liability. We saw an uptick in underwriting, policy acquisition, and operating expenses quarter over quarter, primarily reflecting higher employee and benefit costs in the second quarter, driven by an increase in stock-based compensation and other incentive compensation. Also at work was a change in timing of recognition of policy acquisition expenses resulting from new FASB guidance. The bottom line was net income of $58 million, or $1.89 per diluted share, and operating income of $59 million, or $1.92 per diluted share. Return on equity, which we calculate by dividing annualized net income by the average of beginning and ending shareholders' equity, was 10.4%, down a point from the second quarter of last year. Our focus on the bottom line is mirrored by our dedication to building book value. We are pleased to report that book value per share stands at $74.30. Tangible book value is $67.42 per share. That's our review of the second quarter, but I want to mention some capital management decisions that will affect the third quarter and beyond. We intend to repay $35 million in outstanding long-term debt, which consists of $23 million in trust-preferred securities issued in 2004 to provide additional premium capacity and $12 million of surplus notes we assumed when we acquired Pick Wisconsin. The repayment will occur in August, and we will be using funds from the authorization granted by our board for the repurchase of shares and retirement of debt. In July, we paid off $17 million, a $17 million note and terminated an associated interest rate swap. Because we carried the note on our books at fair value and we retired it at par, 
we will recognize a book loss of $2.5 million in the third quarter. Our decision to repay the debt was driven by the economics of the transactions. The end result is that we will have no long-term debt by the end of August, which will eliminate related interest expense that was $2.7 million in 2011 and $1.3 million through June 30, 2012. When the payments are complete, we expect to have $136 million remaining in the board's authorization to repurchase stock. Frank? Thanks, Ned. Howard, anything you can add about uh, loss and actuarial trends? Sure, Frank. Uh, frequency remains flat, as it has been for some time. Severity continues to be below our prior expectations, currently estimated to be increasing at about 3 to 4% annually. Average renewal pricing in our physician book was up 2% quarter over quarter. Primarily at work here is the automatic step increase in the claims-made policies that incepted in the Ascension Health Certitude Program during the second quarter of last year. Absent those increases, renewal pricing essentially would have been unchanged. Premium retention in the second quarter was 88% in our physician book of business, down two points quarter over quarter, consistent with our approach to the competitive nature of the market. Frank? Thanks, Howard. Now let's swing over to Vic for an update on the status of Medmark and IND. Happy to give you an update, Frank. Both transactions are on track. Our legal counsel is reviewing the transactions with regulators in Vermont, where Medmark is domiciled, and in Nevada, where Independent Nevada Physicians Insurance Exchange is located. The regulators have been very responsive as we work with them to complete the required documentation and prepare the material that will lead to a vote of the policyholders of each company. We continue to believe that both transactions will close by January 1st of 2013. Until closing, we are limited to the extent that we can work on transition and integration, but as we said in our conference call in June, we do not expect significant issues in that regard. Medmark will function as a distinct business unit given its distinct line of business. In the case of IND, they have a more robust operation in Nevada than ProAssurance, and we plan to move into the IND offices in Las Vegas and serve the doctors of Nevada from that location. Frank? Thanks, Dick. One general uh, development I want to mention is the Missouri Supreme Court's ruling on that state's tort reform laws. Last Tuesday, the Missouri High Court struck down the $350,000 limit on non-economic damages. Howard, could you walk through how that might affect the Missouri market? Sure, Frank. It means that losses are likely to increase with the removal of the cap. We'll be watching that and also looking for signs that frequency may rise in that state now that it may become more attractive to file lawsuits. We have not historically factored the caps into our Missouri rate-making and reserving, but have been guided by actual loss data. However, the Missouri market has been dominated by a number of smaller companies formed under a state law that allows Missouri domiciled insurers to get started with a relatively small amount of capital. Most of these companies have operated primarily in the post-tort reform era and have grown rapidly by selling lower-priced, accessible policies, which allow those insurance companies to force current or former policyholders to pay additional premiums if the company's reserves prove inadequate. So the ruling could have, could have a significant effect on these smaller insurers and their policyholders and could create some market opportunity for larger companies such as ProAssurance. Certainly, this will have an unsettling effect on health care providers and patients in Missouri who have benefited from a stable medical legal climate since 2005. Thanks, Howard. 
Stan, your background might give you some additional insight. Will you comment on the effect this will have on health care and the effect it could have on other state courts considering tort reforms right now? Frank, it will be unsettling to everyone and every institution delivering health care in Missouri because it removes the certainty and predictability of fair treatment in the courtrooms of Missouri, and that's unfortunate. It's too early to know the effects, but I assure you we will be extra vigilant in Missouri. As for the effect on other state courts, my experience tells me that it will be determined on a state-by-state basis. The general argument used by the plaintiffs is well known and understood and has been rejected in some states and accepted in others. But it's certainly unfortunate because of what it could mean for the future of health care cost and availability in Missouri. Switching topics, although we covered the importance of our two announced transactions in a call on June 27th, I want to reemphasize how important both will be to us. Medmark offers us a singular opportunity in the medical technology and life sciences realm of health care which we think will continue to be significant as multifaceted healthcare systems grow in importance and complexity in the next decade. We have to be able to serve that market to offer a complete healthcare liability solution, and we are excited to have an innovator such as Medmark become part of ProAssurance. While we know the traditional physician market has been shrinking, it is clear that there will always be a need for a medical liability insurance company that is dedicated to serving the needs of those physicians who choose not to join larger groups or become hospital employees. The addition of IND will make us the market leader in Nevada and set the stage for us to respond to some growing opportunities there as healthcare evolves. Gaining a larger share of that market and expanding to get a solid base of operations in the West is a major step forward for us. Finally, I want to highlight the fact that ProAssurance was named to the prestigious Wards 50 for the sixth year in a row. This is significant recognition of the overall financial and insurance performance that sets ProAssurance apart from our competitors. I wish to salute the senior management team at ProAssurance for their vision and dedication, and I am especially proud of the enthusiasm and commitment of our employees who are the backbone of our success. My thanks and congratulations to each one. Frank, all in all, it's an exciting time for ProAssurance, and we look forward to the future. Thank you, Stan. Amy, I think that concludes our prepared remarks. We'll open it up for questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing the star key followed by the digit 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, please press star 1 to ask a question. We'll take our first question from Mark Hughes with SunTrust. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Could you remind me how much uh, Missouri is of your total premium? And uh, if you had more favorable development there, um, I know you're not pricing for uh, assuming the caps, but if losses come in better than expected and so you benefited from them? Uh, hey, Mark, Missouri is, is not a, a, even a top-five state for us. Okay. Um, don't have the exact figure here, but, yeah, 10 to $15 million probably in premium. Howard? Yeah, in, in terms of the, the loss environment, um, it, it's hard to say. Uh, I, the, the cap has been applied by some judges in, in some cases over the time that it has been in effect, so there has been 
benefit on those cases that have gone to trial resulted in a jury verdict that included non-economic damages and, and where those damages were limited and the case was resolved and not appealed. Uh, so there, there has been some benefit and, and therefore that you know would be factored into the loss experience. There are other cases where the cap was not applied or certainly settlements where it was not specifically considered. So it's, it's not entirely clear you know, the, the beneficial effect that it's had or the effect that now that it is gone. But we do think that it will have the effect of increasing fine frequency over a period of time just because cases that have historically involved strictly or mostly non-economic damages and might not have been as attractive will now be more attractive to, uh, to bring to a, a trial. You know, Missouri is that state that we've talked about the, the companies that have come into being under that law called the 383 company, and those those companies really have come to dominate the, the Missouri market, and those are the uh, companies you mentioned during your uh, prepared remarks. Right. But still a relatively small part of the book, it sounds like, in any yeah. case. Howard, was your uh, language perhaps more upbeat in the uh, press release on uh, the reserve picture? Well, I think what we're trying to uh, explain in, in the in the news earnings release is uh, that, and what we've been saying, you know, over the past several quarters or years, uh, that the severity has uh, been less than expected, and that as time goes on and it gets factored more and more into the data, uh, that we are able to make uh, judgments uh, and our and our decisions about loss reserves with with that in mind. Uh, the expectation that we all had uh, that the lower frequency would result in higher average claim severity has proven to be true to some extent, but not to the extent that we thought. And we're just trying to be a little bit more uh, explicit in, in some of our comments about that. And uh, last question, the uh, higher operating expenses this quarter um, would you expect that those should be sustained at this level, or do some of those expenses uh, um, drop off or uh, uh, um, drop down going forward? Yeah, Mark, they're kind of makes it hard because there are a lot of moving parts on expenses. Um, a part of what on the employee costs, a part of what was driving it was stock-based compensation expenses, and as our stock prices increased, the the value of the stock-based compensation has gone up, and that runs through the P&L. And so that that is kind of a going forward. I unfortunately, I don't have in front of me a, a breakdown of the of the pieces. Um, the other impact to incentive comp for the quarter was more of a one-off um, adjustment. So I, I would not expect it to continue. The other component is is the new DAC guidance that was put out by by FASB, and um, it'll take a, a year, a full year, before that kind of gets settled out. But the effect it's having right now is it's increasing operating expenses. We saw this in the first quarter as well. Um, once we get through a full year of the adoption of that, we'll see those costs kind of normalize. It doesn't, it doesn't impact the actual expenses. It's just the timing of the recognition of those expenses. Right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Matt Rohrman, KBW. Hey, gentlemen. Good morning. Um, Howard, I know, you know, going back, uh, uh, you know, four or five years, uh, you know, talking to you about those 383 companies that you mentioned, is the ruling, uh, you know, based on how aggressive they've been pricing? I know they've, we've kind of viewed them as, uh, you know, at least in my words, more of a, a nuisance in that market. 
uh, over time with, with the aggressive pricing. Is, is this ruling a, a killer for those type of companies, you know, given how aggressive they've been? I think the Howard, I think uh, certainly the, the issue is going to be how they reserve and, uh, and to what extent these, those cases uh, that they have open in particular, uh, how those cases are reserved. And, and that's hard for us to tell. Uh, we do think that it will have a, uh, it, should, it should certainly have an effect, uh, a company that is entirely in a market um, and, and where that market has experienced the change. If you look back 10 years ago, something similar happened in Oregon, and it had a pretty significant effect on the company that uh, was the dominant rider in that market. So if you collectively look at these companies being Missouri only, and with the elimination of the cap, you would expect some significant reserve increases. But I don't know you know, ultimately what effect it will have on these companies. Again, as I mentioned in my comments, these, at least some of these companies are accessible, meaning that the policyholders can be required to pay additional premiums for prior years of coverage. Gotcha. Great. Uh, and then uh, just a quick question. Ned, you, I, I believe the European debt exposure for you guys is pretty much minimal, but I just wanted to verify that with you. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I've got some detail here. Just one second, and I'll pull it up. Yeah, if you if you take a look at our queue, um, we've got some some information in there. So at, at June 30, we held uh, debt securities totaling 127 million dollars um, that were kind of with European exposure. Uh, 37.2 million of that is industrial and utilities in Europe. 44.2 is um, is energy, um, and about 40, call it 46 million is financial. Okay, great. Thanks. Ray Quarter, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. And once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star one. We'll take our next question from Ray Ardelli, Macquarie. Thanks and good morning, everyone. Um, couple, maybe starting out with Howard, if if I could, maybe could you talk about um, you know the the decline in the current action year loss ratio? Was that more mix driven, or um, is is there something else going on, or did you guys reestimate uh, the loss pick down for for the current action year? Uh, I guess let me start by saying no, we we didn't reestimate down. And when you see the queue, there's a fair amount of disclosure in the queue about that. There's there's a number of things going on in the quarter. Uh, we had uh, a little bit of a change in tail premium. We also had a as, um, uh, a change or a benefit from the reestimation of seated premium from some old reinsurance years that resulted in a higher net uh, earned premium than we would have otherwise had. It was a little under $3 million of additional net premium. So that had the effect of pulling the loss ratio down a little bit. Um, and, and like I said, there's a, there's a table with some disclosure that will help guide you through that process in the comparison to the prior quarter. Year to date, I think it's fair to say that you know we're booking uh, basically the same net loss ratio that, that we have done, and, and that uh, is roughly in the 84% range. So it's, it's a lot of noise, but no change in approach. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then maybe for um, for Ned, just on the operating cash flow, it looked like a little bit low in the quarter. I mean, anything going on there? I'm sure there's a lot of moving pieces, but um, I know uh, pay bosses might have ticked up a little bit. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, so it's exactly that, and it's, a lot of it just has to do with timing. We did see a tick up in paid losses in the quarter, in particular, um, paid a, a couple of large losses that were settled. So older cases where they were ultimately resolved during the quarter. Um, we do expect significant reinsurance recoveries on those losses because they do hit the excess layers um, that they go to our reinsurers. So we would expect some recovery to come forward in the, in the next couple of quarters on them. But so a lot of it's timing related. Okay, that's helpful. And then maybe last sort of a strategy question for, for Stan or, or Vic. Um, just thinking about, you know, the, the MedMark transaction, certainly, you know, um, a, a little bit of a new business line for you guys, but certainly kind of um, close to close to where you guys have been operating in the healthcare space. I mean, should we look for other acquisitions or um, from from Pro Assurance in these um, sort of tertiary or you know um, you know uh, lines that are similar to this, um, or are you guys going to be more focused on on the core physician book going forward? Well, we're we're not going to change our commitment to insuring physicians in private practice that remains steady. But in order to, to, to keep that commitment to those physicians, we think we have to offer products throughout the spectrum of health care. Uh, the health care system in the United States is changing dramatically over the next number of years. And in order to be uh, a significant participant in our niche in that system, we think you're going to have to have, offer products across the spectrum of the system. Uh, that was what was compelling to us about MedMark. Uh, as you see physicians moving into larger and larger organizations, you're going to have to have, be an, or, uh, an enterprise that has the geographic scope and the financial reach uh, to provide products for the entirety of the organizations. And so that's sort of our strategic uh, index, if you will, is what will enable us to participate fully in the healthcare system in the United States, which will evolve in the coming years. And as acquisitions come along that enable us to do that in an efficient and effective manner, a manner which benefits the policyholders, a manner which benefits the shareholders, then we'll look carefully at every one of those. Uh, you know, my view of the world is that every company in the United States that offers professional liability to physicians is at a fork in the road. And they're either going to have to shrink as their universe of traditional policyholders shrink, or they're going to have to expand to accommodate the world that's coming. And we think that'll offer us opportunities. No, and I, I appreciate that answer. I mean, it, so is there any other products that you guys think are attractive right now that aren't in your product suite? And, and thanks again for all the answers. Uh, you, you're more than welcome. You know, we're, we're in the process of, rev of reviewing that now, and I'm, I'm not going to telegraph our exact strategy other than to say that we think it's going to be important for an organization like ours to offer uh, a total package of insurance products to the healthcare system that's evolving in the United States. Right before we move on, just let me follow up the table that uh, might be helpful to you on the accident year lost picks is at the top of page 55 in the 10Q. Great. Thanks, Frank. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Matt Carletti, JMP Securities. Thanks. Good morning. Just had a, uh, a quick question on capital. Um, clearly, I think um, 
you know, the, more than plenty by any sort of uh, leverage ratio that uh, we might look at. Uh, with the recent you know, performance of the stock, buybacks are um, you know, at least less financially attractive. Uh, how should we think about your capital? Is there potential for um, an increased regular dividend? Would you consider a special dividend at some point? Or on the flip side, uh, do you think you have enough growth opportunities to, to put, put the bulk of that to work and, and you'd rather hold on to it? Ned? Yeah. Uh, hey, Matt, it's Ned. Um, I guess the easiest to say is just we kind of have all options on the table. Um, and it kind of like stands that we're not necessarily going to telegraph what, what our intentions are, but we do have all options on the table. We recognize that the excess capital that we hold is a drain on our ROE, um, and that, that can be impactful to the book value multiple that we trade at. Our desire certainly is to take that excess capital and put it to work in the insurance space, and uh, we are continually looking for opportunities to do just that. Um, but we're we're leaving all options on the table. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Mark Hughes, SunTrust. Yeah, um, Howard, the uh, the three to four percent increase in severity. Was that uh, a little lower than you had talked about before? I've seen you use some language about 4%. Am I overreading that, or was that uh, something of a change? I think we changed that last quarter. I think in 2011 we were talking about 4 to 5. So, um, yeah, I, I think you could say this year, again, with the additional data and looking at it, um, the current estimate is 3 to 4. We'll find out if that's right a few years from now. Okay, thank you. And once again, as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. We'll take our next question from Ray Aradella, Macquarie. Thanks for taking the follow-up. Um, just a quick numbers question maybe for, for Ned. Um, in, in fourth quarter, assuming that the deals close, anything in terms of additional expenses we should be looking for, any kind of guidance you can give us um, numbers-wise? Yeah, um, Ray, probably not at this point. Our, um, we hope to have these, these deals closed either by, by 1231 or 1-1. Or one, one. Um, and so some of those expenses may, may go, into, um, go into 2013. Um, you know, we will have the – you know, we've been incurring expenses all along, legal expenses and the like. Um, where we will have expenses are uh, around um, – fairness opinions and, and success fees with investment bankers and things like that that'll that'll be larger. Um, and I think what's being paid on both sides of, of the transactions is, is kind of market norm. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you. At this time, there are no further questions. However, as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. Gentlemen, at this time, there are no further questions in the queue. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you, everyone, for participating in the call. We look forward to speaking with you again in November. Thank you. That does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation.